if you don't know me, I'm Adrian. I'm uh, going to take us through the next part of our series. We're looking at uh, the letter of Ephesians written by Paul that we've entitled Crafted. I'm not going into the reasoning and why for that. I'd encourage you, if you've not been here uh, over previous weeks, please do go back online, theoasterchurch.com, as that will kind of catch you up with some of the journey we've been in. But today what I want to do is kind of zoom in. We're going to zoom in at chapter 2, verses um, 11 to 18. Uh, and I, kind of, I just feel like the more I've spent time in these scriptures or these verses, the more I've realized how relevant they are for us in this day and age that we're living in, and particularly, actually, this moment in time. I think uh, we're living in a moment in time where when you put on the news, it feels like there's a- another moment of conflict being revealed, uh, nation against nation, people group against people group, another tragedy in terms of an act of terror that's been revealed, Uh, But we don't even have to put on the news. We only have to look at the kind of relationships and contacts maybe we've got around us in terms of society and the world we live in to understand that there's just moments of just breakdown and conflict in terms of relationships all around us. And I guess as I look at it, and it's interesting, like talking my children through this, and particularly as it's probably the the first kind of act of terror even a couple of weeks ago of, of how you deal with this that if we're not careful, we allow what we see on the screens and the headlines that we hear to start to shape what we believe. And we're actually those of us who focused and centered our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we're meant to live slightly differently. We're meant to be able to look at headlines and understand that this is only part of a story that's being told. And that actually we get to understand a bigger story within the time and day and age that we're living in. And my concern is that in moments like this, that we begin to lose hope that actually the world is only on a course of conflict rather than a hope that we have that we get to celebrate surely around Christmas is actually it's on a course that's governed by peace. And in these verses we're going to look at um, in Ephesians, I want us to understand that what we're going to discover is actually for those of us who've centered our lives around Jesus' life, death and resurrection, there's the understanding that we've therefore been crafted by peace. And with it, what I'm hoping is if you've not yet centered your life on Jesus, that you'll begin to understand the amazing joy of what it looks like to do that. But also that it isn't just something that's to impact our lives in terms of the peace that we know as individuals, but actually the hope that we get to live in within the world that's around us, regardless of the headlines that are going through the TV or via the internet or via social media, that actually there is a a greater hope that we get to understand that Jesus came in order that he would bring peace and he hasn't finished the job yet and he will do. And that's why my hope is that we're going to gather by the end of this morning, that actually we'd leave this morning with our eyes raised up again, with a, with a different perspective of the story that we get to tell uh, within the world that we're in. And so with that in mind, I want us to get straight into Ephesians 2. And so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to it, uh, verse 11 to 18. Otherwise, it'll appear on the screens and I'll read it now. Verse 11 says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are, by, who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul writes to this audience originally, which was to uh, Ephesus and the surrounding Asia Minor area. Uh, to a bunch of people who are predominantly Gentiles. I want them, wants them to understand that what Jesus has accomplished hasn't just changed who they are as an individual, but it's changed the whole course of humanity. And it's caused there to come a moment where he's brought a peace that actually destroys. A peace that doesn't destroy people, but rather, rather destroys barriers. Destroys barriers and hostility. And at the moment of history that Paul is writing into, there was a huge barrier uh, that was seen, a, a huge barrier that was understood where the whole of humanity could be split into two groups. They could be either Jews, those who were in the Old Testament the promised people of God, or Gentiles, everyone else. Like literally, there was no other nationality. And this was from a Jewish perspective, obviously, but it would have been understood. And the thing that it did is it created this enormous wall of hostility. Of a bunch of people who said, I don't want anything to do with you. And another bunch of people said, well, we don't want anything to do with you. And Paul's writing into that context and saying, actually, there were these two groups of people that have immense hostility towards one another. And so Gentiles would see Jews as just odd and think they're just kind of weird traditions and don't want anything with them, uh, to do with them. Whereas Jews would see everyone else like dogs, like totally worthless, didn't want to be anywhere near them because they were just unclean. And Paul writes to them and says, oh, what Jesus has done is he's actually dealt with racial hostility. That's what there was, racial hostility. But he's not only dealt with racial hostility, he's also dealt with a far greater moment of barrier that there was. A barrier between the whole of humanity and who God is. He says, oh Jesus, he's made a way that the whole of humanity can find a level playing field. That actually there's a a way of understanding that what Jesus has done has caused every person on earth to realize they're in need. A need of someone to make them right before God. And Paul writes and says, "Oh, oh, and Jesus is the one who's done that. And as Greg prayed out, it's this God who is three in one, one in three, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So you get the very end of the verse, this amazing statement, which Paul kind of just throws out there and says, oh, Jesus, the one, he's given us access to the Father by the Spirit. He says, oh, there's this God that you're coming towards, and he's three in one. And maybe some of us are here this morning saying, well, I'm on a journey, which I thought you guys believed in Jesus, and I was trying to work out what that is. And now you've kind of opened the door and said, oh, no. It's Jesus, yes, he's the Son, but there's also the Father and the Spirit. How does that all work? Well, it is the same God who is forever loving community, as was prayed by Greg, that we're now invited to have access to. And Paul writes and says, oh, this Jesus has granted access to everyone in this level playing field of understanding that actually without him, you don't get the access. Therefore, there's a knowledge of understanding that actually everyone needs him. But once you go through him, everyone is equally viewed by God through him. 
So he says, oh, this Jesus has both dealt with the barrier, this great barrier between us and God, but also what that has inadvertently done is destroyed any barrier between humanity. That at this point in time, it was Jew and Gentile. In our point of time, it can be anything that can cause there to be a barrier between us and someone else. He says, oh, Jesus destroys it of how we look at others. Of not seeing a barrier there, but actually seeing someone who equally is in need of Jesus and equally is acceptable through Jesus. So this revolutionizes everything. That Jesus has come to bring peace. See, Jesus has come to bring peace even into 21st century world. So we can look in, I can recount again those incidents that I've spoken of that we see around the world around us and say, well, what's the answer then? And politicians are this weekend, and we need to keep praying for them, don't we? In this country, are trying to figure out, how do we answer this? And at this point in time, I'm not making a comment about how they're answering it. What I'm saying is we need to stand with them and pray for it, because ultimately what we get is privy in to understand the actual answer to the conflicts we see around the world is Jesus. And the peace that he's able to offer. And maybe we look and say, well, surely it's that, isn't that too simple? And yet Jesus came to confound the wisdom of our age in order to understand actually the way to know what we so hope for is by actually trusting in who he is and humbling ourselves and saying actually we, we don't know this we, we can't figure this out we need you so i had the privilege of hearing a story that shows that actually jesus is still working for peace in this world even now and so literally a week ago friday I caught up with, or week ago Thursday actually, I caught up with a guy I know called Richard who leads a church in a different town. And he told me this story about a church, All Saints Church, in Peshawar, Pakistan. He was at a conference uh, in August in Thailand. You've got to hang in there for a moment because this is, this is perplexing. So he's in a, an English guy in a conference in Thailand who meets a lady from this church in Peshawar, Pakistan. Now, this lady was part of this church and has been part of this church for some time, but she told a story that hasn't been told in terms of the news. Now, there is a story about this church that was told, which is in 2013. You can go online and see it. It went international in terms of news. On a Sunday in 2013, the group of believers in Pakistan that had gathered to worship were greeted as they left by a couple of suicide bombers that caused utter chaos and devastation and ended up with 127 people losing their lives. At that moment, there was an outcry. Now, if you've ever been to Pakistan, you know this. I had the privilege a number of years ago of going to Pakistan. Is With, an, with, that, with a Pakistan mindset, you, you don't split in terms of nationality. You split in terms of faith. And so as a nation, it's broken up in terms of even towns. You go to districts, and it's about what, the God that you've got faith in. That's how you're determined. The, the fact that you could arrive. So in our nation where we say, well, what about people who don't have faith? It just wouldn't add up. You, you are faith. So I can come and say, oh, no, I'm from England. They say, no, no, you're Christian. I say, no, no, everyone from England's a Christian. And they say, well, no, no, they are, aren't they? Because that's, that's a mind view we're seeing. Now, at this point in time, the district that this church was in was predominantly Christian. And the outcry after this event was massive. However, there was a different voice that started to get heard. And that was the story and the, the voice of the family members of those who died through this atrocity. And the lady who my friend Richard met kind of spoke about this, and it was on national news that 
they started to tell us different stories. So they said that they forgave, the family members said they forgave the perpetrators of this kind of act of violence. And they publicly went on. They said, we don't want any retribution. We just want them to understand and anyone connected with them that we forgive them. Now, unbeknown to those family members, that as they make that statement, three young men in their 20s north of this town are camped up in the mountains, and each of them are part of the Taliban, and they're part together. And those three Taliban members are actually the perpetrators, the organizers of the suicide bombers who went and did this bombing. And just after this church, these family members had proclaimed, they said that we want to forgive those, these Taliban individuals started to have dreams. They didn't realize they were each having the same dream. But each of them separately started to have a reoccurring dream every night of a man coming before them. They didn't recognize him, but just continuously calling him to follow them. Now, after a few weeks, one of them plucked up the courage to tell the other two that he'd been having this reoccurring dream. So he tells the other two, and the other two say, no way. We obviously didn't say no way. They'd have used whatever language they use. But they said... We've been having the same dream. They then realized that they've been having this dream ever since they heard the family members of this church say that they forgave whoever was organized, organized this event. Or not event, organized this atrocity. And so at that point, they then say, well, what do we do? They keep talking, sleeping, keep having this dream until they get to a point and say, well, there's nothing else we can do, but maybe we should just go to that church. And maybe we should just go in and say, well, we did this, we organized this, and we put our lives in your hands. Maybe that will help. And so the three of them, with a lot of fear and trepidation, go to this church and arrive around August, September last year. And they walk into the building and say, this is who we are and this is what we did. And we put our lives in your hands. At that point in time, the church community responds in a very, very different way. They continue to act out love and forgiveness. And so family members of those who died in the bombing invite these young men to come and live with them. And so for three to four months, these young men start to live with these different families. And as they're living with them, they each start to tell them about the dream they had. And as they tell them about the dream, the individuals they're living with start to tell them about Jesus and that Jesus is the person in the dream and that Jesus came to bring peace And to offer forgiveness and love. And that's why they could offer forgiveness and love. At the end of three to four months, these three individuals each make a moment of commitment and say, well, we want this Jesus. And so they start to become followers of Jesus. It gets to the beginning of this year. At the beginning of this year, they then turn to the church community and say, we can't stay here. With what we know, we now need to go and tell others. We now need to go back and tell our people about this message we've got. The church community, the family members of, the, of those that have died, appeal to them and say, no, no, if you go, you'll die. And they said, well, our lives are now his, Jesus's. Therefore, what will be, will be. And they left. And that seemed to be the end of the story. And so the lady who recounted to my friend Richard the story just before summer said, and that's the last you know of them. We don't know if they've lived. We don't know if they've died. Then... At the beginning of October, my friend Richard, having heard the story in August, thought, I just wonder. I wonder what happened to them. And so he phones the contact that he has through this church and says, have you heard anything? And she says, well, it's quite uncanny you ring at this point. 
Because actually we've just heard from them this week. And they're still alive. And they've asked, please can we send Bibles? See, we can live with the headlines that are surrounding us all the time. And that can do one of two things in our hearts. Either it can cause us to start to increase the barriers up. To think, all right, maybe actually, Jesus, you did do some peace, but actually there needs to be some barriers because there's some people that are not going to be reached. Or maybe we need to keep understanding the bigger story of what Jesus has accomplished through the peace he's able to offer and realize that Jesus can bring peace amongst all people and that Jesus' goal is that all people will understand and live in the peace that he has to offer that gives everyone access to God through him, his life, death, and resurrection. And so in this, I don't want us just to leave with thinking, man, that's a pretty amazing story. Like when I heard that, it genuinely caused all the hairs on my arm to stand on end. I thought, that's phenomenal. This is like, not like something I'm reading in a book. This is now being known. And now Richard, who's a friend of mine, he then said, oh, you should hear this. Now, I haven't got time to tell all the other stories he then went on to tell. But it was genuinely a sense of, if we're not careful, we can allow the culture we're living in, in the West, in the 21st century, to determine and moderate our belief in who God is and what Jesus has accomplished. And what Paul's trying to do in this passage of Ephesians is say, just remember, remember the biggest story you're part of. And that's what I want to do. I want to spend in a moment, we're going to remember, I want to look at three R's as we close this morning. As a moment to remember, a moment of what we've received and a moment we want, of what we get to reveal. But to start off with, I just want us to remember, not just remember a story of what God has done amongst a bunch of believers and how they respond to an atrocity, to offer forgiveness and love and how that changes some other individuals' hearts. I want us to remember the bigger story that we're part of. The bigger story that isn't just about this moment, 2015, but it's actually that we've now become part of a greater moment that is God's story throughout all ages. And so hopefully, in literally like five minutes, we'll tell the whole story of the Bible. But we'll see if we can do that, shall we? Because you see, what happens is we need moments to remember, to remember that there is a bigger story of peace being worked out. See, at the very beginning of the book, in Genesis 1, what we find out is that God creates everything. And creates everything that it would be good, that it would be a place of peace. Peace is that word that is about well-being. It's about wholeness. And so God creates the whole of the earth in order to be a place that did everything good and was all about wholeness. And at the centerpiece of all that he created, he creates humanity and puts him in there. And says, now this is really good and to be enjoyed. And then what happens is humanity says, in the freedom and the goodness of what we've got to enjoy here, we think we can make a better deal with this than your plans, God. And so what humanity does is it steps out of what God desires. It says, oh, maybe we can live with ourselves at the center, not with you at the center, God. And as a result of that, there becomes a consequence, a consequence that God reveals in Genesis 3 because there then becomes a great barrier. So we can look and we can say, oh, there's a, there's a barrier, which we will get to in terms of the Jewish-Gentile kind of divide, but this barrier goes way further back. It was a barrier that happens at that point. A barrier that happened that became a separation between humanity and God, a separation between humanity one another, a separation in terms of a barrier that came up within each individual, of a genuine sense of unrest always, and a barrier with the whole of creation. But God says in that moment, as humanity decided to go outside of what God had got, he says, oh, 
There is a consequence, there is a barrier, but I want you to understand that I am going to destroy it. So even at the moment where God says there's now barriers that weren't meant to be there, they're there, but I am going to destroy them. So from that point on, you then get the story of the Old Testament where God chooses a guy called Abraham and says, through you I'm going to found a nation that's going to become my people. And through you, what I want to do is reveal what it looks like to have me at the center of how good it is, how blessed you are. But that isn't so that you'd just be able to walk around really tall saying, look at me. It's rather that you'd be able to be a blessing to others so that others in looking at you would see me and see how they too, in centering their lives around me, could know all the goodness that you know. Now the thing is, what happens there is then the story of the Old Testament, really, is that from that point of proclamation of this people group that are going to emerge to reveal what it looks like to have God at the center, is that moment of privilege becomes a moment of pride that actually starts to separate them from the rest of the, nation, the world rather than to call other nations to them. To actually say, no, we've got this privilege and you can't have anything to do with it. God then sets them out some laws to follow and says, right, you're to do this not as a way of kind of proving something, but actually as a way of living in the good of what I've got for you. And what they do is say, all right, well, we can add to that. We need to add to it so that we show ourselves as distinctive from everyone else. So much so that it gets to a point that actually means they can't relate to anyone else because they can't have anything to do with anyone else because they're too unclean. But even in that period of time, even in the period of time where God has chosen this people to reveal him, and yet they continuously use it at a moment for pride rather than privilege to reveal it to others, God keeps speaking to them and keeps speaking to them and saying, but no, this is going to be for all nations. So you even get to this time of year, season of year, this passage will be read out, read out loads of Isaiah 9, where God speaks to this people and says, oh, but still within you. I'm going to raise one who's going to be like a ruler to you, but actually he's going to be a ruler to the whole earth. Whose kingdom and governance are going to know no limits. But the the kingdom and governance are going to be characterized by one who is a prince. But isn't a prince like others that you know? Is a prince of peace. Because that's what he is. And that's what he's going to bring to everyone. Until you get to this point just covered the whole of the Old Testament there, obviously, um, that where Jesus comes, and at the point at which Jesus comes literally to the earth, is a moment where the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, had lived with this deep sense of privilege. And that privilege had literally erected barriers around them. It erected barriers around them in terms of the laws they lived with, which is what Paul's talking about. Laws that meant they couldn't even step inside someone's house who wasn't a Jew. It meant that they lived in total isolation of others. It meant in terms of the attitude they had towards them. It meant in terms of the temple, the place in which they could encounter God. Any Gentiles that actually had been able to say, no, we want to see your God and make your God ours, actually they weren't allowed fully into the community. Even with the actual physical structure of the temple, there was kind of inner courts for Jews and an outer court that was for Gentiles. Those that had still said, yeah, but we want to worship the same God. You can worship our God, but you're not fully in. So they literally erected a brick wall that had signs all the way around the outside that said, if you're a Gentile and you go past this wall, your death is on your head. And Paul is literally speaking and saying, oh, you know that wall? that said, 
if you're not a Jew, you're not allowed in. Oh, that wall. And also the wall that was emerging because of the law and how people lived. Actually, those have been destroyed through Jesus. Jesus came to bring peace. And so what he did is he removed all barriers by actually, one, fulfilling the law, and two, saying that actually the access to who God is isn't through a structure, isn't through a temple, isn't through a certain people group, it's through me. And so Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, rises from the dead. And what's his first thing he says to all of his followers? He says, peace be with you. Why? Because it revealed everything he'd done. The prince of peace had come, and now he offered peace. Anyone who received him, able to have access to the Father. Because of who he is. He suddenly said, there's a level playing field. Everyone approaches in exactly the same way. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, privileged or not. You still need me. And still this is the way to know the Father. So he destroyed it and said, actually, there's now no barrier between anyone, between God. And that's then the era we get to live in now, the New Testament era where Jesus is continuously revealing the peace that he's done that removes all barriers between all people. Because we understand that the ultimate barrier between us and God has been removed through Jesus, which transforms any sense of thinking, well, we're better than anyone else. We realize, oh no, it's, it's, we're exactly the same as everyone else in need of Jesus. And once we get through him, we realize that we're exactly loved by, as everyone else through Jesus. So it transforms how we operate. And that's the moment we're living through. Now, the, the danger is we start to think, okay, that's guilt there. And we occasionally see moments of it being worked out. But you can look and, around society and think, but is Jesus continuous, continuing to extend the peace he's able to offer? Is his peace enough even today? I can tell a story of a Taliban, guys, but I can think of loads of individuals that are surrounding me. And is, is his peace able to penetrate their hearts With that, we need to, again, allow not our circumstances to determine the story that we're part of. You see, the story doesn't end with Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The story ends when Jesus returns and provides a new heaven and a new earth. And in that moment, you realize that we are privy to the most amazing scripture, Revelation 7, where it says this. Before the throne of God are a countless multitude of people from every family group, tongue, language, nation, that Jesus' heart is one day all peoples of the earth will gather towards him. Not a select number, everyone. And those that can be seen as far, those who can be seen as near, are actually all going to be there. And the thing is, we get to look and understand that's the end goal. The end goal isn't these moments where it can feel like, man, the world's just full of chaos and conflict. No, no, the world is still on the trajectory of Jesus' peace being worked out. And it's worked out through every individual that sees him. And that is going to transform lives around us. And so when we see a headline, that isn't the end of the story. It's actually a moment where we get to say, no, this isn't how it's meant to be. And we get to pray and say, Jesus, we know where this is going. And we pray now for your peace to be worked out. We also get to be those who then celebrate in understanding what we've received in peace. So you remember the story is great because it starts to change our perspective of what we're looking at today. But also, it also allows us to remember everything we've received. See, we're receivers of peace. Verse 14, Paul says this, For he himself is our peace, 
See, the problem is when you're talking about peace, and that word, as I've said, is the absence of conflict, is the presence of uh, wholeness and well-being. We can then think, oh, this is like a bolt-on to my life. It's kind of a state of mind, a, a concept that I'm getting hold of. And yet Paul wants us to understand when we say we've received peace, what we mean is we've received one who is peace. He says this, Jesus himself is our peace. That when we're looking at peace, it's not a concept, it's a person. And we're saying we're those that now have received Jesus. We're those that have received the peace that he's able to offer us, that through him, we now have peace with God. We are as loved as we could ever know, as accepted as we could ever know. So we understand that through him, we've got that. We then get to understand that through him, we're able to have that lens of how we see everyone else. We see everyone else now as those in need of Jesus and those who, like us, can receive the peace he's able to offer. We don't see ourselves as those who are better than others, rather, or those in conflict with others, or those who struggle with others' point of view, though sometimes we might think that isn't what Jesus wants. But rather we see actually in everything is a lens of seeing this, these are individuals who are as in need of Jesus as I am. It's a level playing field. It changes how we see everyone. It changes how we see ourselves. We suddenly realize that what we've received in Jesus is ultimately this understanding that we can know peace in our very inner being. Not through the power of positive thinking, but rather in understanding that Jesus is able to offer us everything we've ever needed. So we're receivers of peace. We're also, lastly, revealers of peace. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the one spirit. Here's the deal. Jesus is continuing to preach the peace that he's able to offer. And the most unbelievable privilege is he preaches it through you and through me. So I can look back and say, I'll tell a story and say, oh yeah, Jesus appeared in, their, in dreams to these guys. And yet they still needed someone to explain who he was. They still needed someone to reveal who he was. They still needed someone who was willing to meet with them and offer the forgiveness and love they so needed in order they then could see who he is. And Jesus doesn't want us to be those who simply have this view of what the world's going to be. I think, oh yeah, it'll be all right. He doesn't simply want us to be those who then get to receive this peace and say, I'm all right. He wants us to be those who understand we're now on this earth to be those that he preaches through to reveal the peace that he's able to offer. Which means that we don't do some stuff and it means that we do do some stuff. It means that we don't put up barriers. Can I say three ways I think we put up barriers? The first one's this. We put up barriers to Jesus. That what we do is we erect walls around who Jesus is and we say to people, oh, once your life is sorted in these areas, we'll let you see Jesus. That's not how it works. Jesus says, no, you approach me as to who you are, what background you've got, what you've got going on in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life. You approach me in that. And we need to never put up barriers that say, oh no, you need to get a bit cleaner before you can get to Jesus. Now the whole point is, we need Jesus, therefore we need access to him. Therefore we need to ensure that we don't put up barriers around him. Second one, I think we can put barriers up within the community, within the church. We can barriers up that say, actually, you've got to be more like me. 
You've got to talk like me. You've got to act like me. You've got to wear things like me. And we kind of subtly do it. And we say, oh, but they're a bit different. And we say, no, they don't really conform to me. The point isn't that we then end up with lots of different factions within a community. Brother, actually, the church should be the one place where you look at it and think, how on earth does this work? There's so many different people here with so many different backstories. How does that work? People should walk in and say, I don't understand how they can sit next to them. Because at that point, we're starting to preach simply by where we sit and who we talk to about this peace that Jesus has been able to reveal and do in our lives. And then lastly, I'd say the other barrier we need to ensure that we're tearing down is the one that we place within ourselves. The barriers that say, actually, I'm not like as good as them. Maybe you don't use the word like. I use the word like a lot. I'm not as good as them. Or I'm better than them. And so we either live with that sense of comparison or competition, And it becomes a barrier towards how we operate with people rather than understanding, no, we all go through Jesus and we're all loved through Jesus. It's an equal playing field. It isn't like some are more equal than the others. We're all the same. And therefore it destroys any barrier in terms of competition or comparison. It also destroys the barrier of saying, I'm not good enough. See, this one I have to communicate slightly wisely But the thing is, what Paul is writing here is offensive sometimes to our ears. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. It isn't through how good your life is. Even once you've centered your life on him. It isn't that now you're proving something. Therefore, there can become moments where we put barriers up and think, I cannot believe I just did that. I cannot get to God anymore. But that's not what Jesus did, is it? Jesus didn't come and say, I've provided a way to the Father, but now you need to prove it. And he said, I am the way. So there's never a barrier there. The only barrier is if we put it in our thinking. Now, here's the danger of what I'm speaking. This is what Paul writes in Romans 6. So then, do we just keep on sinning then? Do we keep on singing, sinning? Because actually, if we just keep on messing up our lives, what it does is it keeps revealing how amazing Jesus is because we just need him more and more. Well, Paul says... Why on earth would you do that? Because actually that's just making a mockery of who Jesus is and the good things he's got for us. Because ultimately it isn't that we keep getting worse and worse. It's rather that we see who Jesus is and the fact that we have access to him and think, man, I just want to live with you at the very center of my being. Therefore, I want everything to start to revolve around who you are and the best that you've got for me. Therefore, it then means I start to say, actually out of knowing that you've got my good in, at heart, It then causes me to say no to stuff. It causes me to stop doing stuff. It causes me to start doing some things. But knowing that it isn't because it then presents a barrier is rather me living wisely of understanding this is the wonder of what I've got in you. So we need to ensure that we also tear down the barriers that we can put there ourselves. But there's also some stuff that we need to do. What we need to do is this. Love and forgive. Why? Because we've been loved and forgiven. And where that pushes hardest is the people where we find it hard to love them. The people who actually don't want to be loved. The people who say stuff that we just think, how can you possibly think that about another human being? And yet why we're meant to be different is because in those moments we get to reveal who Jesus is. And say at the moment where we were most against him, he then loved us and showed us forgiveness. We then get to reveal who he is. 
in order that others could say, well, why, how can you operate like this? Because we then say, well, let me tell you about one who ultimately brings peace. So with those, therefore, that even in 21st century world that we live in, with all the conflicts that are going on, are crafted for peace. Are those that need to keep moments of getting perspective, not allowing stories of our day and age to shape what we believe, but remembering the bigger story of what we're now part of. Is Jesus has come in order that there would be peace throughout this planet. And we have the privilege of being those that are now shaped by receiving it and those that then get to reveal it to all around. Can I pray for us? And then we'll be done for this morning. God, I thank you that your desire is to use small bunches of people like us to transform the world around us. God, I just recognize that when you left this planet, Jesus, you left just 120 in a room to say, now go and take this gospel of peace, this good news of peace throughout the world. And at that point, humanly, we could have looked at the world that was in, the superpowers of Rome, the the, the thinking houses of, of Greek thought, and thought, man, this kind of bunch of... Uh, kind of individuals who, who aren't always the sharpest tools in the block. God, how is that ever going to work? And yet the reality is those who received your peace are transformed in order they'd reveal it to everyone. And God, I thank you that your story then is from that point to now, billions of people have come to know the peace that we now know. And God, I thank you therefore that it fuels with, with faith to understand that you want to use people like us to transform the worlds around us with this amazing message of peace that we have that transforms how we act towards people, but ultimately causes us to then become signposts to who you are, Jesus. And God, we look at the world that we're in. We look even today, this weekend, and we ask for the leaders of our land. We ask for situations where it just feels like, is this ever going to know peace? We say, Jesus, would you come and work in the hearts of men and women in order they'd find the peace that only you're able to offer, in order there would be peace between warring factions but ultimately in order there would be peace between you god and us as humans i really ask that jesus amen